Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles, then we will be back in Romans chapter 5. Uh, we're, we're going to begin in verse number 3. And I know you're thinking, well, we did that Sunday. No, we didn't. We did do Romans chapter 5 Sunday morning. And we did read verses 3, 4, and 5 Sunday morning. But we were looking at a message on growing in the dry season. That was just a message that God showed me, to be honest with you, while I, while I was studying for, for some other stuff. But, you know, it's amazing. We talk about all the time about this book being living waters, and it truly is. Um, if God would give you the direction for the message, I don't think you can legitimately preach a message that God doesn't give you directions for. I think you could put some things together and teach them. I mean, that's a, that's a point well proven. I've got some messages at home that I made a hundred on in college, and they were written in outline form, and they were written to be sermons, and they were written to be handed in papers, and they seem like really good sermons, but to date, God ain't never let me preach one of them. Um, but they were done for a, a paper, they were done for a grade, they weren't God-given messages. But if God would give you the message, you could take, just say, for example, verses 1 through 5 here in Romans chapter 5, and you could preach for a year a different message from those five passages every day and never exhaust what those five passages teach you because the word of God truly is living water anybody every time you read the Bible again read a book again read a passage again you see something you're like how have I never seen that before it seems so simple when God shows it to you but it, it's like that magical stuff but so tonight we, we will be back here continuing our study Begin reading in verse number 3. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, that's those two amazing words, commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody say amen? Is there a thank you, Jesus, in the house that he came to where I was at my lowest point, as far away from God as you could possibly get? That's where he came to to get me. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. Wherefore, as by one man centered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. God, thank you so much for the gift, Father. Thank you for the gift of salvation, Lord. Thank you for the atoning blood. Thank you for eternal life, God. Thank you for the free 
gift, God. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for loving us when nobody else could. Probably nobody else would, God. Thank you for loving us even in our mistakes and in the midst of all of our failures. God, I pray you forgive us now where we failed you, God. Forgive us of any evil thought or any evil deed, God. I pray you'd cleanse us and help us to be usable vessels, Father. I ask you to move in this place. I pray you take this word and speak to each one of us right now in the next few minutes, God, that we might learn something about you. It's our heart's desire to walk out of here with a nugget tonight, God, with some piece of something, God. I pray you'd give everybody listening something that we might walk out and be a better servant. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we looked at how Paul was, was dealing with two subjects. He was dealing with our, our standing with God. Our standing is certain. Our standing is, is sure. Our standing will never change because our standing is based on Jesus Christ. If we are one with God, that is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the Lamb. So our standing is perfect, but our state with God is, is ever-changing because our state with God is based on us. It's based on our relationship. It's amazing. On Sunday morning, I asked a question, and, and I'll be honest, it's probably targeted more for the online audience. I don't see no lights on. Maybe we're not even on tonight, so I might can just say whatever I want to and be okay. There ain't no camera lights on. But I asked the question, are you closer to God now than you were when this started seven months ago? Or have you drifted? Is your study habits better? Are you closer? Is your prayer habits better? It's amazing at the people that have told me, I can tell I've drifted. I can tell in all this, I can tell from missing church, even though I've continued doing my daily devotions, even though I have continued to pray, even though I have continued to read my Bible, I can tell that I'm drifted. I don't feel as close to God as I did seven months ago. You know what that confirms in me? We need this. We need church. We need the family. We need the togetherness. We need the praise and worship time together. For all those, uh-oh, light, come on, i got to behave. Yeah, well, that one happened, but it is now, so I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll do right. The bottom line is, is it takes all of it, but it takes coming together as a family. I, I, it's just, even, even with a few of you here, it is so much better to me tonight than it was a month ago preaching this empty building. I, I can only assume that people that are watching, I pray that some are now, but there's just something about you being here. There's just something about my brothers and sisters in Christ coming in and when we begin to sing a song together and we all begin to worship and we all begin to think about how marvelous and, and how wonderful and when the praises go up, the Spirit of God comes down. And it's just different. So, um, but anyway, we, we left off. We, we were talking about our state with God. Our, our state with God does change. It can fluctuate, but that that's based on us. We can be as close to God as we desire to be, but that's strictly up to us and, and to our life and how we pursue Him. When we left off, I said it's not God's will that we would remain babes in Christ. And we looked at it, babies, you take a baby, a baby is naturally going to grow physically. But it takes some work and some training to grow mentally, to teach them some things to get them up. The same thing is true in the children of God. God doesn't want us to always remain Babes in Christ. Does he want us saved? Absolutely. That's what the cross is for. That's what the blood is for. Does he want us to have eternal life? Absolutely. That's what the resurrection is for. But does he, but does he want us to get saved and stay right there? Absolutely not. 
It is, it is his will, it is his desire that we be more like Christ, that we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God. So verse number 3, Paul says that we glory in tribulation. I can go ahead and tell you, I'm not that mature yet. That, that is a sign of a mature Christian. That is somebody that has walked some dark valleys and God has held their hand and walked through it. That is somebody that has been through some fires, been through some trials. That's somebody that's been beaten. That's somebody that's been shipwrecked. That's somebody that's been snake bitten. And God continued to call and use them and build churches through them. That, that is a sign of great maturity when you can honestly say right down for the portal of the time that our glory in tribulation. A new Christian is not going to understand that statement. A new Christian is not going to understand why am I going through the things that I'm going through. New Christians will sometimes say, man, I had it better than this when I was out there in the world. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of problems, but nothing like what I'm going through now. Have you ever heard a new Christian say, why now? Why is all this happening to me now? Have you ever heard a new Christian say that? Why am I going through this now? I wasn't going through this back then. Why? There was a girl a couple of years ago, visited this church for a few weeks. She grew up in church. Um, she, she went to Awana um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, was always there. Um, she's gotten out of church, obviously not, not in church at all. But this is somebody that knows the Bible. This is somebody that more than likely would have probably been saved in their younger years. That's why she's looking to get back in church. She, she knows she needs to be there. She enjoyed the church. And the problem is she was living with a guy. And the guy she's living with had never been to church, wasn't a Christian, didn't want any part of church. But, but the guy came and visited a couple times, and, and he liked it okay. It just happened to be a time when I talked a little bit about fishing or something, and something he could relate to and realize that we ain't nothing but old, old rednecks. We just, we, we, we just who we is we, and what we is, and we just saved by the grace of God. Wasn't nothing special. Well, then I preached a message, and in that message, I talked about glory and tribulation. I talked about maturing as a Christian. I talked about growing through trials and growing through the storms, and I talked about how God would allow seasons of trials in our life. And after church, when they got back, he said he would never come back again. He said, if I got to go through that, I don't want nothing to do with it. That, that is the mentality of, of a lot of people. And, you know, that realistically, that's just a crutch. It really is. They, he wasn't going to come to church very long anyway. It, it wasn't what he wanted. He wasn't being drawn. It's not what he got there. But, but it shows that what a lot of people want is the only reason they would come to church and get saved is that they think they just live a life of trouble-free happiness and all this peaches and cream and, and, and they don't have to go to hell. And that's about the only benefits. Now, they, they don't get to go party. They don't get to go do their stuff anymore. They're thinking that's their sacrifice, that they get to live a life without problems. But that, that's not... God's not trying to purchase us into salvation by saying, hey, all your troubles will be going away. What he does purchase us through is saying your worst problem goes away. Your, your eternity, your death is going away. So when Christians are first saved, even if we grow up in church, as I did myself, even growing up in, in the house of God, we learn a lot about the Bible. We, we, we know a lot of stuff. We know a lot of information. I mean, we've, we've heard about David and Goliath. And, and you know, in, in our children's Sunday school classes, we learned about Daniel in the lion's den. And we know about 
Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and, and we know all of those stories. We, we know those things. We know about Jesus Christ because we sat in the pew and we listened to it growing up. We know about the cross and the blood, and we, we know about the resurrection, but what we don't know about is the relationship because we never had one. You can be in church your whole life, and you can know the story forward and backwards, and you can be a bookworm and a book learner, and you can learn a lot. But until you surrender your heart, and, and it becomes the relationship, you can't understand the relationship. It's a relationship that causes us to grow. Maturity in a Christian is kind of like the melting pot. And I know I've used it. you probably heard many people use it. I, I certainly wasn't the originator. I heard it, and I... I pirated it and I've used it and it's been used many times but you've heard it talk about the silver and how silver is made pure is to be placed in a pot and it is placed over intense heat in order to make it pure it, it has to be placed over a, a heat that is so hot that it melts it into its liquid state and when it gets in this liquid state its impurities come to the top they rise up and it's called drawing off the draught. They will take that net and draw the draught, draw the impurities, draw the imperfections off. And then when it becomes hard, it is now more pure than it was before the heat was applied. If you want it to be more pure, the only way to do that is to melt it again. That's what God does with, with you and I. He is continually working on us, making us more pure. The Bible refers to the potter's wheel, Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse number 3. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. That's saying that the piece that the potter was working on may have already looked like a vase, already looked like something. It obviously wasn't just a clump of clay. It was a piece because it says the vessel that he made of clay. So he has a vessel that has already been made into something, but it says that he marred it in his hands. That means he took something that was made and he crushed it into nothing. He turned it into something unrecognizable. Then the word of the Lord came. It says that, that he made it again another vessel. So he took something that was something, he marred it into nothing, and he made it into something better as seen good to the potter to make it. We have to understand when God's working on us, he's not working on making us what we want to be. He, I, I, Paul Hutchins told me one time about leaders. He said a good leader will take people where they want to go. A great leader will take people where they need to go. That's what God is doing as the potter. He's not trying to make us what we want to be. He's making us what we need to be. He's making us more into the image of God. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. What we see in the story is, is that he marred it. He, he crushed it into nothing so that he could start again and to make it into something that was more beautiful than what it was before. Maturity as an individual takes time. Anybody say amen? No matter what age we are, we are more mature than we were a few years ago. I hope, glory to God, I hope we're growing up some. Um, I can't say that I act my age, but I act older than I did once upon a time. So, so maturity takes time in a person, but the same thing is true in the life of a Christian. Maturity takes time. And learning to trust God not only takes time, but it takes time in the fire. You, you can't learn that God can walk you through the fire until God has walked you through the fire. 
You, you can't learn that God can sustain you until you've had a reason. You can't learn that God's grace can hold you up when you don't have the strength to hold yourself up because life has brought some terrible storm your way. You can't know that God can hold you up until God has held you up. Maturity takes some seasons. It, it takes a while. Our text says that hope maketh not a shame in verse number 5. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. There's two things mentioned right there. That's the first time they've been mentioned in this letter so far. That is love and the Holy Ghost. It is God's will to bring each one of us into His likeness. It is God's desire for you and I to be Christ-like as Christians. We are to be like Christ because He loves us so much, not only did he give Jesus Christ to, to die on the cross for our sins, but he also sent us the Holy Spirit. On the day that Christ went back, the Holy Spirit came on, on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, after the seven weeks of seven. So God loves us so much that he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to live inside of you. He says, you are the temple of God. He loves us so much that he has chosen to take his Holy Spirit and live inside of you every day to help you, to, to, help, to help shape and to move us through. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We're not alone in this. We're not just saved and God just expects us to grow and mature. Being saved, that was our beginning of our relationship. But it is the Holy Spirit in us. It is God in us who, who will work in us His good pleasure to make us what He desires us to be. Amen. Thank you, God, for even caring about me. Y'all remember what the word was for Sunday morning about tribulation? Y'all remember we used a word called pressure? Pressure is applied. It's just like the clay in the hands of the potter. The, the way that he makes the pot is pressure. He has to apply pressure. It takes gentle yet firm, continuous pressure from perfectly skilled hands. You could hand me that wheel and that pot and everything that it takes to make a pot, but my hands aren't skilled. I couldn't make you anything good. I'd be doing good if I could get you a half-drinkable coffee cup out of it. But, but it, it is skilled hands. It is skilled pressure that, that what makes it into. You remember a few, probably two, two and a half years ago, and I remember preaching from that passage on the potter's wheel, but I talked about the potter getting the clay in the center of the wheel. You can't do anything if it's off-center. You, you can't do anything if it's out of balance. So in order for, for God to work on us, we must be placed on the spinning wheel, but we have to be in the center of the wheel. And the way the potter gets it in the center of the wheel is he begins it spinning, he wets his hands, and then he applies even pressure to both sides. And as that thing spins on the wheel, it shaves off the high sides until eventually it is dead on the center of the wheel. And, and that's what God has to do with you and I to get us into the middle. Paul says that we glory in tribulation. What Paul has learned is is that when we are on the wheel, when the pressure is being applied, that means we're not only in the middle of the wheel, but we're in the middle of both of God's hands. 
when the pressure is being applied, when the tribulation is there, that means that God has us right in the middle, holding us with both hands firmly on both sides. We're in the hands of a skilled potter. I'm starting to like it already. Paul says that we glory. Verse number 6, he says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So we see that, that God's love is unconditional. You and I didn't do anything to earn God's love. And you can't do anything to cost it. Even those that refuse the gift and die and go to hell, God still loves them. God still loves them so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for them all the way up to their dying breath. In their last breath, like the thief on the cross, God would have forgiven them if they would have accepted because God loves them that much. But love won't stop justice. Love won't keep them out of hell. God paid the price. The choice is personal. In verse number 7, we see that God's love is unnatural. For, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man would, would some even dare to die. I got some people I, I think an awful lot of, but I'm not sure that I'm willing to pay quite that much of a price. I, I would like to try to do all I can to, to help keep them alive, but stepping in front of a bullet for them doesn't seem to line up to be the thing to do. Amen? We, we see that it is an unnatural love. We're not even talking about good people. We're talking about people like me. We're not talking about dying for a good man. We're not talking about dying for a righteous man. We're talking about dying for somebody like me that grew up in a church that was taught about the blood of Jesus Christ, that was taught about salvation, that was taught about the gift of God, that was taught about the difference of heaven and hell, that was taught right from wrong and said, I'm going to go live over here. We're talking about God dying for somebody that wasn't worth dying for. Still ain't worth dying for. It's not natural that God looked at us in our absolute worst state and said, I'm going to send my son to pay for that one. But then we see in verse number 8 that God's love is uncomparable. There is nothing like the love of God. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is no other love like the love that God has for you and I, that while we were in our worst state, he paid the greatest price. He didn't pay chump change for a chump. He paid the maximum price for us in our worst condition. It is an uncomparable Love, the, the world that, that we live in today is really not just today, the world period. You, you look back in Genesis all the way, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there, there's been sin in the world. The world is full of trouble, especially today. The world is full of trouble. The world is full of wickedness. It's full of demonic presence and, and demonic activities. It's full of, of sickness and disease. It's full of, of hospitals and graveyards. It's full of prisons and, and correctional institutions, all of those things are a result of sin. Every one of those are a direct result of sin. But in spite of that, God loves us so much 
that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. You think about mankind, the, the one that's living in sin, the mankind that's lost, the mankind that's separated from God, that's who he came to die for. Mankind that deserves hell because of their sin, that's who he came to pay the price for. And the very ones that he came to pay the price for beat him, doubted him, mocked him, spit in his face, plucked out his beard, crucified him on a cross. It, it was such a day that, that creation itself moaned at what was happening. The Bible says that there was an earthquake. The earth shook. To me, it's kind of like the earth was shaking its head at how in the world could such a thing be allowed to happen. The sun refused to shine. There was darkness on that time of the day. The sun said, I'm not even going to shed my light on such wickedness but because it's so vile. Yet in spite of all the blood and all the turmoil and all the wickedness, God somehow made a way that you and I might be at peace with God. It's just not natural. It's just God. He goes on in verse number 9 to say, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Verse number 9, and then you see it again there um, much more. Is verse number 10, the, the, the two words that he starts out, much more. I, I kind of became interested in those two words, much more. I wonder what much more. So I did a little bit of study and looking at those two words, and I found out the phrase much more has been used 40 times in the Word of God. The number 40 represents trials and testings. It's been used 15 times in the Old Testament. The number 15 represents rest. But that means it's been used 25 times in the New Testament. And the number 25 is the forgiveness of sins. Paul's using it here in that text. That's what he's talking about. Much more is the forgiveness of sin. Much more is what God has done for us. Much more that we are now justified through the blood. 16 times the apostle Paul uses the phrase much more in, in the Pauline epistles. The number 16 represents love. Eight times he used it here in the book of Romans. The number eight represents new beginnings. And he is constantly teaching in this book, in this letter, about the new beginning that we have in Christ. It is by grace and grace alone that we have it. But then five times in the fifth chapter, he uses this phrase much more. And he's talking about salvation. And, and the number five represents grace. It's amazing how God puts this book together and how numbers work out to be in such amazing things. But the work of Jesus Christ did much more than just restore what Adam lost. Anybody still with me? The work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross gave us so much more than what Adam had. It gave back so much more than what was lost. If Adam had never sinned, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm just thankful that somebody sinned before it got to me because I'd have hated to have been the one in this book that messed it up. Because the Bible places all responsibility on Adam. So I'm glad somebody messed it up before it got to me because I wouldn't want to have been the one. But, but if Adam had, had never sinned and, and none of his children ever sinned, it got all the way to us, then today you and I would be the sons of Adam. 
And that's all we would be. We wouldn't be anything more. But Christ did much more. Because of Calvary, we can become sons of God through Jesus Christ. I'm I'm a son of Adam by the blood that it traced through, but but God has done much more. Jesus Christ gave his life so that I am justified by his blood. I have been reconciled by his death. I have been given eternal life by his resurrection. So now we are much more than just the sons of Adam. We are children of God. Anybody thankful? We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of the living God for always and forever, and nothing can take that away. What Christ did was much more. He gave us back so much more than what Adam lost. Verse number 11 says, Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That word atonement means restoration or favor. Well, it also means atonement, but the word that it comes from all combined means restoration or favor. So what happened is our relationship with God. That's what Adam lost. His relationship was broken through sin. Our relationship has been restored, and we have been given favor with the Father so that there's never a time that we can't run to the Father. Think about what sin does. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were in the garden. God came walking to talk with them. What did they do? They hid. They ran from God, and they hid because that's what sin does. Sin will cause you to run from God. Sin will cause you to try to hide from God. I'll go ahead and tell you, you can't hide. There, the, you can run, but you can't hide. There's no place that you can go to get out of reach of his arms. But sin will cause us to run from God. But because of what Jesus Christ did, we have been restored to the Father so that even though we have sinned, we can now turn around and run to him. And, and just like the prodigal, he's going to run to us when he sees us. All it takes is for us to realize what we've done and turn back to him. And he's standing in the door waiting for the day when we turn around. Number 12, Paul goes back to the origin of sin. Wherefore, as by one man sinned into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. In Adam, all men are sinners. All people. There, there is none without sin. But in the family of God, through Jesus Christ, all can be forgiven. So here's what you have. In the family of Adam, death reigns because of sin. But in the family of God, life reigns because of Jesus Christ. So in effect, when we're saved, we are taken out of the family of death and placed into the family of life. A scarier way to say it, and it's just as true, is we are taken out of the family of hell and placed into the family of God. We're taken out of the fire and placed into streets of gold and walls of jasper and onyx, but above all, the place where God is, the place where we see the face of Jesus Christ. The face where we all gather around with all of our family members again. We are removed from from the family where death reigns and placed into the family where life is eternal. Now here in verse number 12, Paul addresses the presence of sin. And as I said, the, the Word of God places the blame squarely on the shoulders of Adam. I've shared this with you before, but because this is where in the study, uh, I'm going to share it with you again. 
you and I are born in the image and the likeness of Adam. We are not born in the image and likeness of God. You, you hear people say, well, well, we're in the image of God. We were made, we're born in the image of God. No, no, we aren't. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. But Adam messed that up. Adam was made, the Bible tells us, Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 26, that God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, him, male and female created he them. Had Adam not sinned, Adam would have never died. He would have stayed in the image of God. The image of God is eternal life. The image of God is eternity without death that never ends. Had he never sinned, he would have never died. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now we know the story, how the serpent beguiled Eve, and, and Eve took of the fruit, and she did eat thereof, and she gave into her husband, and her husband did eat thereof also. And because of that, in chapter 3, God said to Abraham, or to Abraham, stay with me, I ain't got that far yet. It said to Adam, in verse number 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust Shalt thou return. Death was immediately imputed unto Adam and to all of his descendants. That was not so in the beginning. That was not so when Adam was created. That came because of sin. Now, if you want to see where it goes, you can go to Genesis chapter 5, verse number 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. That's Adam. God made him in his likeness. Male and female created them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. That was in the beginning. That's the way that God made them. That was before the sin. That was before the curse. Verse number 3 says that Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his own image it is no longer God's image it is no longer the life that God put there it is no longer what Adam was before the curse fell on man you and I are born under the curse you and I were born under the curse of Adam under the sin of Adam under the curse of death that comes that's why we must be born again born once just ain't gonna get it Born once will get you into the, the likeness and the image of Adam. Born the second time is what gets you and I into the likeness and the image of God. Wherefore, as by one man centered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That is the penalty of sin. All have sinned, and death was imputed immediately because of sin. That death is not Hebrews 9, appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. That's just how we're going to get out of this life. That is the eternal 
death. That is the final death. That is the final chapter where death and hell will be cast into the lake, lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness always and forever. That is the death that is passed as the penalty of sin. So the first man, Adam, sinned and sin entered in. So there had to be a solution, right? So what is the solution? Another man. That man is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the obedience of Jesus Christ, he restored everything that the first man lost. He has it all wrapped up in a nice, neat little package to hand to you. Complete forgiveness. Absolute mercy. Never-ending grace. Eternal life. He has it wrapped up in a package to hand to everybody. All you got to do is ask for it. All you got to do is believe it, reach out your hand, and receive it. Jesus Christ paid the debt. He took care of what Adam lost. He restored the possibility of the relationship. But it was free choice. Adam was free choice. Adam's free choice sinned. You and I still have that free choice. So we have to choose Christ. Amen? So through the first man, each man inherits sin. But through the second man, all of every man's sins can be forgiven. Through the first man, death reigns. But through the resurrection of the second man, we have the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The, the gift of God releases us from the penalty of sin. Now understand, and I'm, I'm about out of time. I want to stop. We ain't going to make it as far as we read. But, but understand, it does not release you from the consequences of sin. Let, let's... let's Let's close this little nutshell back up right here real quick before we go. And this will be a really good place to go home. It does not relieve you from the consequences of sin. There are consequences of sin. There are consequences for saying, I don't care what you say, Holy Spirit. I want to do this. Well, knock yourself out. Go ahead. You have the right to choose your actions, but you get to make no choice over the consequences. You can choose what you want to do, but God controls the consequences. But the beauty of it is there may still be consequences, but there's no longer the penalty. Because the penalty was death. So you and I as children of God are washed in the blood, saved forever through Jesus Christ. The penalty of eternal death, the penalty of hell has been forever removed well i told you i'm about out of time and i told you it'd be a good place to wrap it up because that's an exciting place for me I, I like knowing that even though i make a mistake i may have to get some consequences i may have to get some spankings a little paddling every once in a while but i thank god that i can rest assured in his word that there is nothing that i can do that can separate me from the unnatural never-ending love of god that he has promised me through his son jesus christ amen that ought to give me enough excitement to get me through to Sunday. That'll hold me over for a couple of days. God, thank you so, so much for being so incredibly good, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for eternal life, God. Thank you for removing the penalty of sin, God. Lord, I thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. And pouring out all your many blessings, God. I know we look at where Paul says glory and tribulation. And I know we talk about going through some tribulation. And we talk about going through trials. But, but God, 
those are just little mighty, mighty little specks that we go through, God. The reality is that we live blessed lives and everything that we do, God, everything that we have is a gift handed to us by you. Every breath that we take is a gift by your hand, God. Every, everything in our family and the love of the people around us is all a gift, God. So though a tribulation may be present, God, they're just tiny little specks in the whole overall plan of life, God. Thank you for the countless, many wonderful undeserved blessings that you have freely poured out on us, God. Lord, I pray for everybody in this place and their families tonight. I ask you to keep a hedge of protection around them. God, I pray you'd bless them, bless their finances, bless their homes. God, I pray you'd protect us in these uncertain, crazy times that we're in. But God, I pray you'd touch each one of us and help us to be a light in this dark world. May people see Christ in us, God. May you use us that, uh, that souls might be saved, God. We love you, Father. You've been so good. We thank you and we praise you in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen.